I was chatting this past week with a denominational leader and he was lamenting um, the challenges. He told me in his denomination, normal vacancies were at 5%, normal. In a bad year, he said, vacancies were at 8%. This year, he said, currently they're at 25%. What that means is 25% of their churches don't have a senior pastor. Normal, five. In a bad year, eight to 10. Currently, 25. He expects in a year or so, it will be somewhere in the vicinity of 35%. Then he turns to me and he says, Mark, what's happening? And I said, well, (laughs) my friend, it's tough everywhere. He said, look around and and look at what no longer exists. He said, you know, it wasn't all that many years ago that thousands and thousands of men gathered together all over the United States and Promise Keepers doesn't exist anymore. They tried to refire it and it failed. Two American denominations, to my knowledge, the only two American denominations that even attempted to make it, the rest were European plants, the Vineyard Movement and and Calvary Chapel, both of which are on an iron lung as to whether or not they will make it. Acts 29, recent issues that they're facing, and... um, from my conversations with people in droves, they're looking at joining other movements. I was telling him, and he was telling me, I said, the reality is (laughs) being a leader in any industry is as hard as it's ever been. In ours, it's difficult. However, I think it's a lie to think that it's worse today than it's ever been. And maybe if you buy into that, that's part of the problem. Because when I look at the text of scripture, Corinth was not an easy church to pastor. And Paul's words to them is Paul's words to us. What was happening in this church was ever bit as difficult as what's happening across the board today in every church and in every industry. It's difficult. And what God often calls leaders to is something different than he calls other leaders to. And it's a challenge. It's a difficult message. But Paul gives it to the church now, this message is, is actually in some ways to Christian leaders, pastors, yes, elders, yes, deacons, yes. But remind yourself, Paul was writing this, yes, if you will, to leaders, but to the church. And what he was telling them is, my friends, in the midst of very difficult times, this is what you need to expect. This is what you need to look for in your leaders. Because this church had come to the place where they were 
twisting their perspective of leadership and it was getting them into the point where they were having severe difficulty, burnout, divisions, contentions, judgments, because they had a circus mentality and a Hollywood mentality of leadership and Paul needed to write it and correct it. And what he gives to them is as relevant to us today is as if he was writing it in 2022. And he tells them, when you're looking for Christian leaders and if you want to be one, you need to understand that one of God's highest requirements is a faithful steward. And a faithful steward, Paul says, is marked by a servant who is willing to serve under God's tasked assignment with a calling that comes from God. Paul tells them, so then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. I've been working recently with a gentleman by the name of Jim Barnes. He's a marvelous, marvelous seasoned leader. He was a president of a, of Indiana Wesleyan. And he was telling me, he said, what, what in his mind, he says, one of the things that I believe is most important of a, of a leader of an organization, I'm, I'm helping an organization in a search. And he said, one of the things that I think is most important is that not that they want the position is that they are called to the position. There's a huge difference. There's a lot of people who want a certain position. There's a difference when you're called to a certain position. Because when you're called to a certain position, when you're a servant of Christ, what does Paul mean by that? It means that I serve under the authority. I'm sent here. I'm assigned here. And the difference is this. When it gets difficult, I don't wiggle out of this thing. When it gets challenging, I don't take it out. Vets tell me that during COVID, a whole lot of people got dogs. And after COVID, vets tell me a whole lot of people are giving their dogs back. In other words, it got a little difficult. Fido is not easy to train. He tears up the furniture. And we discovered, one vet told me, that a lot of people are treating their dogs like they treated their wives. In other words, when it got tough, they just got rid of them. Well, they do that in a lot of areas of life. They do that with their dogs. They do that with their spouses. They do that with their jobs. But the difference for Paul is he is a faithful steward, is he is a servant who comes under what? He's a servant of Christ. I am one who serves under the leadership, the assignment of Christ. And I'm here not of my own choosing. I'm here because God sent me. I'm not here because it was my idea. I'm here because it was God's idea. I have to confess, maybe the first 15 years of my pastoral ministry, I, I actually, if somebody were to talk, ask me, Mark, do you feel called to ministry? I'd have to say, I, I'm not even sure what you're talking about. I will tell you the second church I went to, God really dealt with this issue of Calling. And he helped me identify that calling has to do with the gifting. And it has to do with the assignment. 
And it has to do with a place. And I think sometimes God does that because sometimes when you are called to a specific place and the assignment gets a little rough, you lean back into that calling and you realize I'm not here because it was my idea. I'm here because it was God's idea. I'm not here because I think I've got what it takes. I'm here because God said I have what it takes. I'm not here because I think I'm the most skilled. God said I am here because he said he can do it through me. A year and a half into our ministry there, we had 50% of our entire leadership team that got disqualified because of moral infidelity. 50% disqualified. It was a sexual meltdown. It was a disaster. We would come to staff meetings. We would go to church. We'd go to elder meetings and people would just duck because we didn't know who was going to fall next. And unless you know God calls you to a place, you're looking for a way out. And when Paul is speaking to this church. He is telling them, and I think he is speaking to us. And my friends, I would say this is good material, not just for pastors. I'd say it's good for you. When God is calling you to a place, when he's calling you to a vocation, when he's calling you to a business. I think it's a really important thing that you're about something that God has called you to. That when you get out of bed in the morning, you know in your heart, what I'm about is not something that I chose, but something the sovereign God has purposed for me and my family to do. I would go as far as to say that where I live, God has purposed for me to live. Why? Because imagine the difference that you live with when you wake up and you look at your neighborhood and you think the difference it makes when you are sent to your neighborhood versus I chose to live here. Because you see, if God sends you to your neighborhood, you have an assignment. And by the way, you're held accountable to God. If you choose to live there, you got options. You got all kinds of options. If you choose to live where you live, if you choose to work where you live or where you work, then you got all kinds of options. You can choose whether or not you want to do it. It's kind of like yesterday. Uh, you know what? I decided not to mow the lawn and I don't think I'm going to be held accountable for that. I don't think God's going to say, up. Oh, you did not mow the lawn. Sin on you, Mark. No, it's, it's an option. I do not have the option. Of disengaging from my neighborhood and my neighbors and saying, God, they can go to hell. I don't care. I don't have that option. Why? Because God sent me there. And he sent you there. Servants serve under God, tasked with the calling of God. And their number one assignment is faithfulness. And that's the test God will hold you to. As best as I can understand, you can correct me on this one. And I'd be happy to listen. 
But as best as I can understand, God will never hold me accountable to fruitfulness. God, he owns that. John 15 says that if I abide, he will bear fruit and it will be fruitful and it will be glorious. He holds me accountable to abiding. He holds me accountable to faithfulness. And by the way, you too. But he never holds me accountable to fruitfulness. Just faithfulness. That's what Paul says in this text. He says, now it is required, verse 2, that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. That means you show up. That means you keep at it. That means you keep your hand on the plow. That means you stay faithful. You stay engaged. That means you proclaim the gospel. That means you don't quit. To give us a picture of that, Paul gives us a word. And he says, two, number one, he says, so then men ought to regard us as servants. Secondly, he says, as those entrusted with the secret things. Some of you have a different word in there, as those who are stewards of the secret things. Those images Paul uses, and he goes into the world of slavery. And his image is that of a slave who is down in the hull, down in the lower deck of a ship. And they are on an oar and their assignment is to grab the oar and he's down there rowing. And he's sitting there just rowing that boat and he's going, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Sing it with me. Merrily, 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 merrily. I quit singing. That's so silly. Paul's images are really powerful. Maybe one of my favorite that I really don't like all that much, but it is my favorite. Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner of the Lord then. Paul here says, as a slave, grabbing a hold of the oar. That's my assignment. I'm given one thing, grab the oar and pull it. I'm given one assignment. I'm a servant of God. And I'm not given an option. Show up. Proclaim the gospel. Fulfill the assignment. Shepherd God's people. Love your neighbors. Serve well the people that God has sent you to work for. That's your assignment. That's what a good employee does. That's what a good shepherd does. And by the way, the Lord is the only one with the capacity to judge all that is done. Paul goes on to say, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. I think it would be a great mistake if by this text we say that Pastors are beyond evaluation. I think it would be a terrible mistake if we said that pastors are untouchable. No, they're not. No, I'm not. 
that I think that's taking this text to a place that it should never be taken. No, no pastor should be beyond evaluation. And, and nor would Paul. Paul goes and evaluates Peter. Paul goes and evaluates Barnabas. Paul goes and evaluates John Mark. So if Paul goes and evaluates all these people, why would Paul say, no, I, he's simply saying this, I believe. Friends, even if I say, that I have served God and I have faithfully exercised my duties. At the end of the day, I will stand before God and he will be my judge. And he will be the one who ultimately determines whether or not I have been a faithful steward. But that is the assignment. Second criteria of what is God seeking in a Christian leader a suffering servant. This is not a fun one. But the Corinthians had given them this idea, and that is, because Paul gives them this, this selection, he says, you Corinthians think that you guys are leaders of the parade. And what, what, what he was giving them in this analogy was, is something that they'd all seen, and that is that when the soldiers go off to war and they come back victorious, what they would do is the victorious soldiers would lead the parade back into town, and those warriors that they had captured would be at the end of the parade. And that would be the place that they would mock them, that they would be considered the scum of the earth, and they would be considered those that they would, they would kind of make fun of. That's what Paul's talking about if you look at verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us as apostles on display at the end of the procession. That's what you guys are talking about, he says. Like men condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. You see, we're fools for Christ. But you're so wise. We're weak. You, strong. You're honored. We're dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags, brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. In other words, we got calloused hands. We're cursed. Seems like you're blessed. Up to this moment, we've become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I'm not writing to shame you. I'm just telling you what it seems like you've come to the conclusion. What's Paul's point? A Christian leader needs to be willing to be a spectacle. Christian leader needs to be willing to be at the end of the line. Christian leader needs to be willing to have calloused hands, to use Paul's words. A Christian leader needs to be willing to not be at the head, but actually to be treated like a servant. A Christian leader needs to be willing not only in the church, but in the city, to not have to be the person recognized as the hero. Christian leader needs to be okay being the servant. It's not easy. 
Everyone likes to be a servant, my friend said, until you're treated like one and then it's not fun. You like to be a servant until somebody treats you like the scum of the earth and then it hurts. But Paul's point is this. If you don't expect it, you're not understanding. That's what Christ said we would get. And material blessing does not always mean God's blessing. We're twisted, I think, in our country. Latin America is really twisted right now. It's really twisted in Latin America. They can peddle some of the biggest heresy in the world if they just wrap it in glamour. But we're the same. You put a person on a jet and we'll do anything. You wrap a person in money and we will fall all over them. But it seems like we walk away from a person that is plain. And Paul's danger and warning to us is this. We're going to miss a lot of wisdom if we have the standard of the world that we fall in love with glitz and glamour. In 1955, there was a gentleman. His name was Mendy Dubai. 1955, he was a Muslim that converted to be a Christian in, in Iran. He was put in prison. He had one pair of shoes, one pair of pants, and he was given the opportunity to recant his faith. His wife was given the same opportunity. Neither of them would on the first round. He went to prison. She did not. A year later, he was given an opportunity to recant his faith. He did not. She did. She left her faith in Christ. She married another Muslim man and walked away from her family. His kids stayed with him. And over the next 10 years, they stayed faithful. And so did Pastor Dubai. Every year on his anniversary in prison, they would beat him and give him another opportunity to recant his faith, and he would not do it. They would give him the opportunity to accept mental illness as his rationale, and he wouldn't do it. Finally, one pastor came alongside, another Iranian pastor, get, he got the West involved, and they put enough pressure on Iran, and they got the pastor out. Pastor Dubai got out and celebrated with his kids. Pastor Huck, who got him freed, was murdered. And less than a year later, Pastor Dubai was also murdered. It's 1967. Fast forward just a few years later. The year is 1977. Open Door Ministries estimates 2,700 Christians in Iran. But the prayers of Pastor Dubai were that God would spread the gospel. And this pastor who spent 10 years in prison praying, God heard those prayers. And today, if you get online and you look, you'll see the same thing that I did. You can go back and look at the stories of this pastor who for 10 years had no jets, 
no glamour, no large church, no great stories. He just prayed. And if you go to Iran today, what you're going to see is an amazing work of God in this Muslim country where they estimate on the low end 450,000 Christians. On the high end, maybe as many as a million. Remember, it was only 1977 that they had 2,700 Maybe that's the reason why Paul said, be careful. Be very careful because material blessing does not always mean God's blessing. My friends, I love seminary. I taught at Denver for 20 years, at Fuller for 15. I'm not against seminaries, but we have to own part of the problem. Because for the years that I was at Denver, the only people we ever put in front of students were the really successful pastors. What we never put in front of our students was the pastor who was in a rural environment pastoring for 20 years, pastoring 100 people who labored with incredible faithfulness. And I'm telling you, if you make it 20 years in a rural environment and you still have a church doing well, you're my hero. And if you pastor a church for 38 years and that church is vibrant and you've done the same church for 38 years in the same place, you're supernatural. But, but we have a tendency to like to put superstars in front of people. And maybe we need to change course and put people who know how to suffer And maybe who have one pair of shoes. People who have been spiritual fathers. Who have the characteristics of Paul. And he identifies three of them. And he said, friends, I want you to imitate me. I'd candidly be a little bit afraid to share those words, but Paul did. Corinthian church, I send you Timothy and I want you to imitate me. What were they? I want you to have a humble and a surrendered spirit. I want you to have a humble spirit that is a broken spirit. One that is the scum of the earth and willing to be at the end of the line. And I want you to have a humble spirit that demonstrates the power of God Real power, not just words about God. I want real power. I want the kind of power that changes a broken mind. I want the real kind of power that delivers a demoniac. I want the power that Saves a marriage. Paul says that's the kind of leaders I'm looking for. In the kingdom of God, leaders serve. 
And the reality is we need today what Paul needed back then. Leaders who serve as faithful servants. Who need to understand. You will need to suffer. It comes with the territory. And I don't think God's going to apologize. I don't. He didn't apologize the father to the son. And he didn't to Paul. And he won't to you. And so if you sign up, understand that's what you're signing up for. It's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago.